this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership, and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Here we are with our guest, Anna Carroll. Thank you for being here, Anna. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. This month, we are focusing on how important quality feedback is within organizations. We're very excited to have Anna on our podcast. Our podcast features a great leader who provides key insight into our leadership topic for that month. This is a topic near and dear to our heart. We enjoy this work immensely. And we truly appreciate the insights you bring into how feedback in organizations often fall short and can lead to devastating consequences. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Anna? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Our guest for this episode of our One Thing series is Anna Carroll. Anna Carroll is an author, an executive coach, and a speaker. She helps leaders and professionals speed up their cycles of successful leadership, feedback, and subsequent results. Anna graduated from Sarah Lawrence College, including a year at Massachusetts Institute of Technology to study the social aspects of computing and received her MSSW degree from University of Texas at Austin with a focus on human behavior, influence, conformity, and how change does and doesn't happen. She founded Interaction Design Incorporated in 1990 to facilitate organizational improvement projects and design and lead structured interactive training. She received her licensed professional coach certification in 2013 from Coaches Training Institute. Some of her clients include Austin Regional Clinic, eBay, Fandango, Horseshoe Bay Resort, NES Global Talent, PayPal, and Zimmer Biomet. She has spoken at Microsoft, Texas Conference for Women, Society for Human Resource Management, and other very important places. Carol wrote The Feedback Imperative, How to Give Everyday Feedback to Speed Up Your Team's Success, which we love, and the Everyday Feedback Workbook how to use the everyday feedback method with your team. She conducts training on how to give and receive helpful, transparent feedback. An important quality of her everyday feedback approach is lowering stress and building great relationships among, along the way. She is passionate about researching future workplace trends and exploring the brain science and psychological factors that are key to making great feedback happen. She's currently writing a book about surprising insights about good and bad feedback in organizations. She lives in Austin, Texas with her husband, Michael, and loves world music, cities, and great conversations, which we are about to have. So, okay, Anna, let's talk about the critical importance of feedback. You write that feedback is information about the past action that is used to guide our future action, which you call the feedback loop. On the surface, Feedback seems so simple and potentially effective, but so many people fail to give timely, accurate, or precise feedback, which results in poor communication and of lack of learning and growth. So we would like to hear you tell us a little bit more about what good feedback looks like on the job and how leaders can develop that skill of giving feedback that does improve future action. We want to hear anything that you might say about feedback 
and improving performance. Thank you. You kicked it off so well because it's a very personal topic for me. And uh, I started out before I got delved into feedback, just being an overall organizational consultant. And I worked with uh, strategic planning. I worked with executive teams, uh, done a lot of training and development, facilitation in a lot of areas to help them uh, improve their businesses, but not just focusing on feedback, person-to-person feedback in the workplace until I had done this other consulting for over 15 years. And I began to discover the common theme uh, among all of the organizations globally and different kinds of industries, whether there's manufacturing, whether it was sales organizations, uh, marketing, new, new technology, I realized that every time I'd go into an organization, as all consultants do, I began to ask questions and interview the uh, senior leaders of the organization. And they would begin to complain, well, this group isn't interested in doing this. Or, the problem we have now is that uh, we can't get buy-in uh, from this group to do this, or these two VPs don't get along. And I always ask them, well, have you talked to those people? Have those people spoken to one another to share their concerns? And the answer was usually no. Actually, they'd say, well, we just leave, let them do their thing and we do our thing. And that way nobody's ruffled and get, nobody gets upset in our executive meetings. We get along great. I like playing golf with so-and-so, but I've never really sat down and shared this information with them because they don't agree. So I began to hear these themes over and over in many organizations that the parties involved in the problem they were presenting to me was something they had never talked about amongst themselves. So knowing these guys were really, really smart, as you said, it seems logical that feedback is, guess what? information fundamentally that's the scientific definition of feedback like feedback and sound loops and guitar feedback and that kind of thing it's it's feedback that feeds into the next cycle it's information but they could not see uh, interpersonal feedback as information why because it has an emotional valence it has um, a feeling for them that goes back to prehistoric times and, and brain science explains it, the fight or flight uh, instinct kicks in, and it's an ancient instinct. So fear of threat, fear of uh, tigers chasing you, actually in the brain MRIs, when they study the brain science of it, they it shows on the MRI of people about to get feedback or people about to give feedback that they go into a fight or flight mode with great fear that's equal to some kind of... Uh, primitive uh, uh, physical threat. And in fact, the brain MRI lights up when you're asked to give feedback, it lights up like that you are about to hurt somebody that you, that if you, if your boss asks you to give your team members feedback, it feels like he or she is asking you to stick a knife in their arm. And that's how it, that's the same response you get in the brain from those two things. So we get to see that there's a hugely emotional uh, baggage that comes along with either giving or getting feedback. And that's what's getting in the way. So on the one hand, in the information age, we need feedback as information. We need more of it. We need faster cycles of it. We need better and better feedback, more quality, more specific, uh, speedier feedback. And yet, uh, 
and our, and our people, people who report to us and people in our teams need it desperately as well in order to function, in order to improve, in order to give the customers what they want. And yet our brains are reacting as if we're running from a fire or a threat of a, a warring tribe or a fire or a, uh, some other physical problem. So there we have the dilemma and that gap seems huge because we haven't much made progress on the brain part of it. And we react very similarly to people thousands of years ago might've reacted. So we have a huge gap yet our, our, uh, desire, our need is greater. We have a greater gap, greater need to give it and receive it and get more feedback. And yet our brains are not allowing us to move very quickly beyond it. That's excellent. The one follow-up I was going to ask, along with you know, the why that's so difficult, do you have a suggestion on just a, a, a first step you know, so many of our listeners want to know the how, like what would be some advice, a first step you would give them to take in ignoring that lizard brain, if you will, uh, yes. and saying, you know what, I got to do this. It's for the betterment of the individual, the organization, and overall everything we're trying to, to achieve. Well, I think that that's, that's a really good, important uh, perspective, because if you realize that the problem exists and you really want to get beyond these problems that you may be aware of. Uh, the first thing, of course, is to be aware there is a problem because some people boil it down in some corporations to simply, here's a tool to use. We have a better performance review tool that will help you talk to your people better. And that simply doesn't really work because you've got that fear going on. A better tool, a different set of competency model, a different competency model, a different set of criteria aren't going to help you give that person feedback. Um, so first of all, we need to reframe the definition of feedback, kind of calm down around it. Feedback is information. People need information and begin to see, really appreciate that we as leaders are an important and valuable source of information, whether we're giving feedback to bosses, peers, uh, people who report to us and encouraging them to give feedback to others as well. So we need to realize a key role for all leaders is being a feedback leader. And what we've also discovered is that creating a culture of not giving performance reviews, but of everyday feedback conversations. And so you can desensitize yourself from it by beginning to give little snatches of feedback, uh, deciding that you want to help be the center of a feedback culture, that you on your team are going to ask people to give you feedback, that you're going to be calling everyone in and discussing feedback, giving them some useful, workable, actionable feedback, and asking them in the same conversation for feedback to you. And these will not be written down or recorded as performance issues. That's another, that, that's another thing that brings us the judgment feeling and the more fear in the brain. So we want to start it out by just having conversations and, uh, and what happens is once people begin to have some conversations, they realize how helpful the conversations are. They feel closer to their boss or to the other feedback giver because both people have benefited from it. And it's something really relevant to what they want to do on their job. That's, that's excellent. Anna. we appreciate that so much. I, 
I know our listeners and, and uh, sure TJ would agree, not only do we get a great definition of feedback, we got the why it's so challenging. And I think most people admit it is, um, but also that, that initial step, that how, which we crave um, when we want to get better. It's a perfect time to transition to our, our one thing series. This is our five one thing series leadership questions and really for our listeners to lead better and grow faster. So I'll ask the first one, Anna, who is one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where could we find them? I've been hugely inspired by the Neuro Leadership Institute. Uh, the CEO is a fabulous creative man, Dr. David Rock. And he and uh, another person co-founded the organization. But they're out of New York. They're really from around the world. They're in 24 countries. And they're the main headquarters, or just the, the, the identified headquarters is New York. But um, it, I would uh, suggest that everybody go to their website, Neuro Leadership Institute, and uh, sign up for their blogs. They're very generous with their articles, their blogs. They want to rope you into their experiments and to... They have a, a forum every year and the people come in online. <clears throat> uh, it's very distributed and it's full of fascinating, innovative uh, research and topics and speakers. And uh, they bring in a diversity of input and scholarship and brain scientists. And it, they make it very, very accessible and fun. I love it. And uh, I think everybody could benefit even if just reading their blogs. That's awesome. We'll definitely link back to the show, uh, in the show notes, Anna, to make sure that people can get to that website right from, from ours. Can you give us an example of a topic, a recent topic that you dug into or, or even something useful that you found there that you think our listeners w- would like to know about? Well, one thing, there's something, this, is, this goes back to, to the topic I'm fascinated with, but they've done significant research about feedback and, uh, that's by the way. That's not the only reason I love them. There are two, many, many topics I'm fascinated with, but they uh, discovered they they tried to figure out to link uh, what are the best things that help you with feedback, and they studied uh, like different practices, like 360 feedback, like uh, calibration meetings when people are giving performance reviews. How do you make feedback better? How do you make how do you use tools? And they even setting goal clear goals with people. But they discovered the one huge business impact, the one huge thing, practice that could have the highest business impact, that did have the highest impact on the company was everyday feedback. And it's, it's coincidental they coined the term at the same time. I, I coined it, I think, before they did. But, it, but it's the idea, it's a clear notion. The idea of it's just feedback every time we do something together. Uh, so TJ, you and I are speaking in a group and we're on the way back and uh, we're just used to feedback. So right in the hallway, we might say, oh, TJ, or you might say, Anna, by the way, next time you talk to that group, let's remember that they feel kind of estranged from us. So we need to really acknowledge them and make special friends with that group. And so you're giving me some feedback to help me in our next, our next endeavor. And if you're in a feedback culture, you don't take it badly you take it well you're like oh he's honest with me and if you have a boss that gives you everyday feedback you can go home for the weekend and you can uh feel comfortable that if there was anything going on with your job or that your boss didn't like something you did you would already know about it 
so you sleep well and you have more fun. So um, really, uh, that they reinforce uh, in their own way with much more extensive research uh, a point fascination with me, and they really do uh, pursue uh, a lot of work on feedback. That's fantastic. It's very useful. Something that, you know, as school leaders, our folks, our primary audience is going to dig right into that, but any leader can, can use that. And quite frankly, that's just about building a great relationship with someone and, and feeling open enough to, uh, to say, you know what, here's something that you could do a little bit better from my perspective, or here's something that you did great this time that you need to repeat. So we love that. Yes, and I'm sure yes, the listeners yes, are going to yes, get a lot. Yes, Exactly. And it, actually, that's one of the, the key points on this whole feedback topic is that you become better friends with people. You become closer. You feel warmer. After you've had these feedback conversations, your team is more open to with one another. Then you like each other more. You're more willing to go have a beer with them. You're more uh, feeling like in, in, that you're in a respected place in your organization, that you're wanted, you're liked, and people are more likely to feel that way when they give the exchange feedback. Yeah. And it's incredible that the research is all lined up because it goes right along with being happy at work and being productive and motivated. So just a yes. wonderful topic to, to dig into. Let's, let's get into our next question because I think it's going to align directly with this, this concept of every day. What's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? Well, there's something I discovered under kind of like duress, uh, my late husband, he, uh, he had uh, leukemia. It went to, to his brain. He was a professor at the university, uh, was getting treatment, and he was sick for three years uh, with leukemia. So I was at MD Anderson Hospital with him in Houston. So we basically stayed there because we had an apartment in the, in, next to one of the buildings there for part of the treatment. And I would open up. I brought lots of self-help, business books, organization development books, all kinds of interesting books with me. And so I would get to go into a practice when I went down to breakfast, I would open up five books. I would just grab five books. It could be articles. You could even be on your computer and just uh, tell yourself you're going to look at five websites and just open them up and then randomly select a place from any page number and uh, look, read until you find something interesting that you think can apply write down the notes. What is this one thing that you, so it's kind of false. Uh, it's in your basic, uh, in agreement with your philosophy here, uh, find something you can use. And it was amazing how I could write something down and write five things down for the day. And I would work towards applying those. And in fact, it wasn't really work. A lot of it was play because it led me into all kinds of creative thoughts and creative uh, learnings uh, at a time that felt difficult. So I wrote, I had a little notebook that I did. So I would say explore, it's basically seek diverse input. And this is one simple way to do it. You can go, go into a bookstore, sit there and grab some new books off the shelf and do the same thing and get br brand new, interesting insights. Thank you for that. And I love that idea of seek diverse input. Um, I think it's a great suggestion. What's the one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? You're going to laugh at this. I'd like to do more dances, like world, uh, different dances from around the world. Tango. I don't do tango. And part of it is that uh, tango, what I notice about, like, I have a lot of friends here in Austin, 
uh, who do tango. But tango is an obsession. <laughs> and you probably, if you've seen it, and either one of you do it. Um, no, but it, that's another where we've heard as well, um, just around that people love tango. It's amazing it's, how often that comes up. Um, and we don't think it's crazy because flying is probably the only thing that's beat tango on our <laughs> podcast. Wouldn't you agree, TJ? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that and being able to speak Spanish, those are the top three that have come up in every episode. Yeah. Dancing, Spanish, and flying an airplane or helicopter. Well, I'm glad that I live in Texas because uh, I've been, not only have I traveled extensively in Guatemala and Mexico, but I have... Uh, I go to a weekly group where we speak Spanish. And so I feel really lucky on the Spanish end of it. But uh, tango is, uh, I like to dance. So I do other kinds of dances, but people who do tango just do tango. They go to the tango group uh, and they go to milongas where everybody, you know, any, they'll have famous people, tango musicians who come in and they'll, they'll create a dance that people go to. One uh, interesting example was I had a friend who was a professor who did a, did a study, an exchange in the U.S. from France. She was from southern France. She came over here to, to teach uh, for a year. And the second week she was here, all the new professors were being honored at the University of Texas in the English, from the English department. So we went to the party, and uh, she was telling me about tango. I said, that's so fascinating. I keep meeting cool people who do that tango. And she told me that she'd been invi already invited to a wedding. So she went to tango that one week and she was already going to an intimate party of <laughs> tango people. <laughs> so that just shows you how intense the whole thing is. And I'm fascinated. And then you, if you apply that to all kinds of endeavors, like people who fix up antique cars or people who fix up, fix up old funky pickup trucks or people who do anything uh, that's really specialized that they have a passion for. And by the way, I've seen on your blog a lot of work on passion, which is another huge topic for me, but, but uh, you guys are, have explored that quite a bit. And uh, so I think tango and other rarefied things are also passionate uh, thing, things to focus on. Yeah, it's very cool. And it also provides that, that breadth of uh, activity that we need for our brains to be successful. So... It's Great really point. a neat thing. Um, pivoting over to something that supports you, what's the one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that, uh, that, uh, as a leader that others might be able to replicate? I think uh, everybody can seek, as you can see, I like to seek uh, diverse input or learn things that I don't already know. There's a book that's been written by a, a British scholar on luck. You may have known about this book. I don't, I don't have it. The components of luck. There are several components are very interesting. What is it about people who have good luck? Is good luck just good luck? Or are there practices involved? And there are practices. But one of them is seek input. Meet new people. Go out of your way. Get up and go somewhere. If you're stuck in an airport, talk to some people who look interesting. Uh, ask questions. So I think that, that go outside your field and find someone to interview in depth about how they do what they do, and then what do excellent performers focus on? Um, I had the opportunity to do this for a living for a while in building uh, technical competency models. So I interviewed uh, design engineers who uh, think 3D. They dream about solutions to problems, the excellent performers. I found out that they use 
uh, intuitive methods to solve major problems in 3D. So I, I, I think that taught me something. And everybody you talk to in a different field can help you with things like that. Anna, that's fantastic. What's, what's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? I used to think, and I sort of followed along with this, actually my whole life is taught by my parents, is you need credentials, degrees, and certifications to do great things. Get certified, get the next degree. And I think while that is does hold some truth, and in fact, when I talk to younger people about finding a great career, I talk about things like find something with a barrier. You have special skills and interests and find something that others have a barrier. It's a barrier to entry. You've got something that the rest of the world doesn't really have. So you do need to focus on those areas, but there's so many great things you can do and how you can rise to create the most creative things don't really require uh, study or credentials really. So just knowing that allows you to, at any stage of life, like people, I'm a little older and a lot of people by age are retired, and, uh, but there's no limit about what we can do. Um, and we don't need to go back to school to do all these things. It's so true. And we tend to live in this world where things are becoming more specialized and more credentialed. And um, it's, all, it's often a shame because it, it promotes this special, specialization where we have a little bit of a fear of switching fields. So um, we're so happy to hear you say that. Um, well, we're going to post that. No need for credentials. Let's just, let's just dive in. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Exactly. The very best facilitators, for instance, of big groups, say somebody, you want somebody fantastic to work with a group. And yeah, there are people, a lot of us have organization development degrees, we're good facilitators, but you have some brilliant, insightful people who can come in and they have no degrees at all and do this and they become known for it. And the same thing with, I mean, you go to acting school, but you don't have to. There are great actors who didn't go to school. There are great uh, people in so many fields who the artists, fantastic fantastic work. Well, that was fantastic. Another great conversation. Lots of strategies embedded there from Anna for anyone who's listening. The key, as Joe and I always say, is that leadership might be complex, but it does not have to be complicated. And we see here that feedback can get complicated in our minds, but really can be broken down into some simple strategies and lots of great insight from Anna. Is there anything else that you would like to add today for our listeners? Uh, stay calm and try things. Like if you're able to just hold both of those thoughts at the same time, try something new that you can stay calm about and just playfully try it. It may or may not work. And uh, being calm, you can uh, hold your truth. If you have to say something that you're kind of uncomfortable with, if you remain calm, the other people will uh, very much be more appreciative of it. And we are appreciative of that. There you have it. Stay calm and try something new. Final words from Anna Carroll, another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs all on topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed our one thing series on how to improve your feedback as a leader and much, much more. Anna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I loved it.